right, friends, turn with me to 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1. Uh, we'll be finishing up uh, chapter 1 uh, this morning. Again, if you're a guest with us, we're glad that you're here. Uh, we're um, about three weeks now into a series that will carry us through the whole uh, fall semester. That We're looking verse by verse, line by line, uh, through Paul's letter to the young pastor, Timothy. So Timothy was, uh, this letter was written around um, mid-A.D. 60. Uh, Timothy's pastoring a church uh, in the city of Ephesus. And this is a young church pastored by a young pastor. And there's a lot of uh, things that Paul, this older pastor, this kind of father in the faith, if you will, for young pastor Timothy, that he's going to say, hey, here's what it means to be the church. Here's what it means to be this family uh, of faith. And so we're kind of the title of this series, taken right out of uh, chapter 3, verse 15, kind of a purpose statement of Paul writing to this pastor of, why am I writing all of these things to you? He said, I'm writing these things that you may know how you ought to behave in the household of God. And that idea of the household of God literally means as the family of God, that that's what it means to be a follower of Christ. It's what it means to be a part of the church. And so if you're here and church is kind of a new thing for you, uh, church is very much not about an event and it's not about programming all of those things serve a greater purpose and the purpose is is that these are rhythms that we're seeing here rhythms of what it means to live our life as a family and so that is our identity that's who God says that we are because of what Christ has done and who Christ is and so we've got to understand if we're going to be part of the church how are we part of the church and one of the the main markers of a local church is our commitment to and our submission to the Word of God, that we believe this is from Him. And so as Paul is writing to this young pastor, he's also writing to us today as Tri-Cities Baptist Church, Johnson City uh, Campus. And it has everything to do with what it means for your life as a member of this church and as a collective member of the whole. Uh, it's bigger than just um, us and our relationship with Jesus. So we've kind of been following Paul and his conversation that he's having with this son in the faith. Um, and last week we looked at the importance of what we believe. So if you weren't here, I challenge you to go back and download our notes or listen to the podcast. Because what he's saying to us is, listen, Timothy, there's people in the church that are preaching wrong things. And if you're going to live as the family of faith, you have to guard what you believe. And so we, we wrestled with what it means uh, last week of what does it mean for a local church to believe the gospel? Because if we are a people that get the gospel wrong, we get everything wrong. That this message of the gospel is literally central. It's, it's everything that's going to be rallied around for who we are. And if we stray in any aspect of the gospel, we will end up straying in other aspects of our church life and as our lives together. Um, so we talked about last week that every fruit of rebellion in our lives. So if you have any sin in your life today, if you're struggling to follow Jesus, it has very little to do with your behavior. And it has everything to do with what you're believing about God. So the answer is not if we're trying to fix our behavior just to target the behavior and trying to get the behavior right. If we really want to have change that goes down to a heart level and real genuine joy in Jesus, we have to get underneath and say, okay, the fruit of my life is saying this, but what is the root cause? Because the, all the fruit is going to stem out of the life source of the roots. And so what are we rooted in? What are we really believing about the gospel? And so how do we apply the gospel to our lives? What we talked about last week of the importance of any church and any follower of Christ to make sure that your heart is not straying from belief in the gospel. And so 
That's what we're doing this morning. We're singing the gospel. We're going to preach the gospel. We're reminding one another of the gospel. That's why we read God's word corporately together as a way to say to our hearts, hearts, don't stray. We're going to believe this together. And say to our brothers and sisters, like we need to remind each other. That's what community is. That's why we have life groups and study groups is so that we can speak the gospel by the word of God into each other's lives because that is how we change. That's how we remain having joy um, in Jesus. And so Paul's going to continue this kind of gospel-centered theme of this is important. So he's writing this passage. The first thing he says is make sure you're believing rightly. But he's going to continue. And this week we're going to see, listen, make sure we guard our hearts from anything that will cause us to lose our awe in the gospel, our wonder in the gospel. So we've got to make sure that we're getting the objective realities of the gospel right. Because there's a lot of false gospels. That's what we talked about last week. There's a lot of ways that we can err on the objective realities. Because the gospel is first and foremost an announcement of news of something that's happened. Christ lived. Christ died. Christ rose again. Amen? Christ will come again. It happened in history. And so we've got to make sure we get that right and how that applies to us. But here's the danger. For most people in this room, that is very familiar I'm going to say it again because um, I just make sure that we are just honest with one another. We grew up hearing that, or at least versions of that, maybe not fully all of its glory and true. Uh, And so uh, here's an example of the danger of familiarity um, and and how we lose our wonder is we were out um, in Portland visiting our friends and and our Remedy City Church plant and just we're really good friends with uh, Pastor Josh and Pastor Corey. And we were just out last week, my wife and I just hanging out, uh, eating a lot of the good food and the good coffee that Portland has to offer, and they're taking us to all these awesome, like, restaurants and natural beauty, and we're just floored by it all. Like, man, like, there's these waterfalls. I don't even know how big it is. It's just massive and gorgeous, um, and I'm just looking at our friends that live in Portland, and they're like, they're not, like, in awe, like my wife and I are. Like, this is beautiful. I'm like, what's wrong with you? You see the big waterfall that we're looking at, and it's kind of like, listen, we've taken every team member that's ever come up here to visit Portland. We've taken them to these falls. This is probably the 800th time we've been to Multnomah Falls. And it's just kind of like, yeah, we're here. It's purity. Uh, let's go. Kind of thing for them. And for us, it was just, this is beautiful. It's the first time we'd ever seen it. And, and as I was studying for this, that moment kind of came back to my mind. And kind of a more negative example, who grew up in Kingsport? Anybody Kingsportians in the room? Eastman smells terrible. Can I just get a witness? Like, it's terrible. But I, I did not remember ever thinking Eastman smells bad when I lived there. And then I went back to, I mean, because we're in Johnson City, it's not like we moved away, but every time I go back into Kingsport, I'm like, who died in my car? And what is going on with Eastman Road, John B. Dennis right now? It smells bad. If you haven't yet, if you're not from around here, just drive through Kingsport and um, have fun with that. Um, but see, the point is, is because I was around it so much, it became familiar that it began to just lose the, the stench. I mean, you get, you get used to it. So time out. That's dangerous. That we can get used to sin in our life because it becomes so normal. But then there's also a positive effect of because something comes so normal, it loses its wonder. You see it all the time. So it's just kind of like, oh, that's just what happens. I was driving in um, this morning and I just saw the beautiful like mountains. Like, it was just gorgeous. I don't know if anybody noticed that this morning. It was just, I don't know if the sun was shining all pretty on it. And I'm like, I drive by this every day and I don't, know that I ever just stop and go, this is gorgeous, because it's, it's all around. So here, here's the point, especially for those of us that are busy, and you've grown up and around the church, um, 
you know this Bible, you could probably preach this message definitely probably better than me, and you know the gospel, but when's the last time that you were just struck by it? I mean, I'm talking to the point of weeping, of the magnitude of the grace of God for us in Christ. When you hear things like, you were a sinner, we go, yeah, 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 I'm a sinner. No, 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 like feel like I am a sinner. And when you hear that Jesus died for my sins, man, we, I believe in life eternal, I believe in the virgin birth, like, we believe in the virgin birth. <laughs> like, God became a man. And what we believe, he rose again. Like, think about who else can make that claim. And I just see us, we just become, it just becomes so normal. And that's my biggest fear, is that we become bored with the gospel. Because when we get bored with the gospel, then our hearts kind of get prone to something else that seems a little bit more flashy and enjoyable. And that's where we get strayed from unbelief. And so what I'm praying this morning, I want us to just, I don't have time, but we're going to pray this morning. If we don't have time to pray, we're in trouble, aren't we? Um, And so I want us to just pray to that end. Before I jump into the text, unpacking this, I just want you again. I know we kind of prayed it earlier, but I'm going to do it again. God, don't let me lose the wonder. Will you pray that? And if you're here and you're an unbeliever, I, I would just ask you to say, God, like I'm listening to what you're going to say to me in the next few minutes. Not because I'm talking, but because we're going to look at this, look at the book to say, teach me. Like if, if you're real, show me this morning of what the gospel is. And so I would invite us all just to bow and just prepare our hearts. And we'll, we'll be brief in this, but God, please be gracious to us. So, Father, I pray for my friends. I pray for my heart. Um, Lord, I pray for me particularly. I just feel um, impressed by your spirit that I do not want to go through the motions today. I think we can get so bogged down in that. Lord, guard us from that. Guard us from normalcy. Guard us from just existing. Guard us from just going through the motions. Don't let this passage that we're going to gaze at together just bounce off or that we just take notes and learn facts. Lord, would you connect it? down to everything that we are. Would you change us at a heart level? I pray for somebody in this room that is seeking and they're here because they're curious. But Lord, I pray that you open their eyes to see the beauty of Jesus. So Lord, help us. Fill us with your spirit. Only you can do this in us today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, chapter one, verse 15. We're gonna jump right in the middle of our text. Uh, Lord just read this for us, but... um, Paul says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. So I just want to ask us a question this morning. What is so good about the good news? So the gospel, if you don't know, the gospel just is another word for good news. That's what it is. So why is it good? And what Paul's going to give us here is kind of a summary statement. He says this phrase, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. And Paul and others say this about six other times in the New Testament. And it's kind of a, a blanket statement for these creeds. So we're just saying this I believe. And it was actually written from a creed um, from the early church. And this is kind of like that, um, inspired by God, obviously, uh, in different ways than the creeds are from the early church. But the early church kind of seems after 60 year, 30 years removed from the resurrection of Christ, they had formulated these statements that, were, that served as summaries of important, non-negotiable truths. This is one of them. This is kind of a, a trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance kind of statement 
that, they, that all the churches probably were reciting together, history would tell us, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. It's a summary statement of the gospel. And so I'm just going to make three observations and move on because I want us to get to the bulk of what's going on here. But this sets the stage for all that Paul is going to absolutely rejoice over in this text. But what is the gospel that we're celebrating? Why is it good? Why say give our lives to it? Well, here's the first reason. Here's what it is. We are saved because of who Jesus is. That's why we're saved. So again, all, all through the sermon, press in. Don't let it just like, okay, we know Jesus. Is, no, 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 press in. He says, Christ Jesus. Christ is his title. Um, he is the long-awaited, promised one, king who would come and save his people. All throughout the Old Testament, prophecies, thousands of years before the birth of Christ, talking about a rescuer who would come into the world, God in the flesh, this suffering servant, this lion-hearted, lamb-like Savior that's going to come in and fix all that our sin has broken and ransom a people for himself from every nation of this world that he was promised. And what Paul is acknowledging to Timothy and that the church has affirmed throughout the centuries is that Jesus is that Christ. He's the Messiah, the anointed one. He is God's rescuer for us. He's the promised one. He is who he says he is, but he is God in the flesh. He's not just a man, but he is Jesus. He's Yeshua, the the God who saves. He's coming into the world as a man, fully human. So the promised one becomes a man to redeem us. He is our substitute. He's God with skin on. So if you're here and you believe the lie, if you're here and you're an unbeliever and somebody's said or maybe you've said that Jesus was just another good teacher, you know, the prophet or, you know, he was maybe the, when we say son of God, we don't mean that he was equal with God. He was just kind of like God in part. No, no, we believe that Jesus is fully God and fully man. It's his person of who he is, that Christianity is fundamentally about him and what he has done uh, in the world. He came as our representative. He lived the life we couldn't live, and he died in our place. If he wasn't fully God and fully man, that means nothing. It means nothing, but he is, in fact, both. Um, gloriously true. We are saved because of who Jesus is. But then he goes on. He says that Christ Jesus came into the world. So here's the second kind of reality, is that we are saved because of the relentless pursuit of God. That this Messiah and this God, this triune God that has planned redemption for his people and that said we've broken it and we've messed up and we rebelled against that God that God himself instead of just saying hey well good luck hope you figure it out I hope you can figure out a way to make it to me he knows that in our sin that we can never do enough to make ourselves right with God every world religion says we are doing all these different paths to make our ways to God and make ourselves right with God. Christianity is the exact opposite. And it says that, no, no, you can never do that. So God comes down to you. He comes. So listen, this is stuff that we celebrate over Christmas. We'll enter into our Advent season in a couple months and we'll celebrate this. The incarnation, all the beauty of that, that majesty and the mess that he comes and he walks among us to save us. He gets dirty with us and like, says i'm going to be pure so that i can take your sin that is the beauty of the incarnation he didn't just come out from a distance he comes near he comes and so listen if you're here and you know jesus it's because he pursued you he came he became a man and he put skin on he walked and cried our tears he came into the world the world is 
this arena of rebellion. It's everything that God isn't. And what humility for God to become a man and walk among us. It doesn't make sense. He comes into the people who hate him. John says that he came into, the, into his own and his own did not receive him because they loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil and they rejected the God who came to save them. And that wasn't just them, it was us. It is us. So that leads us to, this, to our last statement about the gospel is that he, he came into the world. Why? Why did he come into the world? Just to make a point or to kind of be near us and to kind of teach us some things? No, no, no. He had a specific purpose. He says to save sinners. Save sinners. Jesus, they asked Jesus, why are you here? He said, I come to seek and to save the lost. That's the heart of God. Um, and he says he came to save sinners. And so this is fundamental. We've already kind of been talking about this. But sin is not just something that you do. It's who you are. He doesn't say, I came into the world to save pretty decent people that just so happen to do some sinful things. <laughs> he says, I come into the world to save sinners. Like, we don't just tell lies. We are liars. That's different. Like it's, it comes out of who we are. It's not just like a, some behavioral problem. Like it's deep-seated in us. And he said, I come to save those people. I come on a rescue mission to save. And we know he saves us because of what he does. He lives the life, and he dies the death, and he rises again, conquering everything that's holding us down. We're going to get into that more in just a second. But that is the gospel, that Christ Jesus, who God is and the person of Jesus pursues and he comes for us and he's initiating and he's rescuing and he does so by saving people who do not deserve it listen guys this is grace we just sang about it so beautifully grace and peace how could it be that your grace has come to me amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me listen this is grace that he would do this for us and so for the rest of this passage here paul is just rejoicing and he's kind of applying this objective reality that happened that's true for anybody who will turn so if you're here listen if you do not know this jesus if this doesn't well up in you and you're getting excited about god thank you for doing this there's no connection from your head to your heart you don't even know if you believe this the invitation for all of us today is to come Come to him. He delights to save, and he wants to forgive you. It doesn't matter how bad you are, how much you've done. Come to him. He will ransom you. He, he already has purchased your salvation. But the beauty of this is that he is saying to us, all of us, um, there is a way um, that this is that objective reality is connected to us. And so he's just going to tell his testimony. It's going to bubble out of him. Of here is why this gospel has made its way. Um, to me. So we're just going to walk through and just make some observations about grace. And as we do, I pray it gets down to our souls. And so let's track through quickly uh, together uh, this passage. So first, let's gaze at grace together. Grace is a person, not a thing. Grace is a person, not a thing. So verse 12, he says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus, our Lord. So he uses that title again, Christ Jesus. Now he's the Messiah. He's fully man. He's Lord. He's Yahweh. He is divine. He's Lord over our lives. He's king. He's sovereign. Um, but he says, I thank him 
So any strength that I have, we'll talk about that in a second, what that means. But anything that I have is coming from him. It's not coming from anybody else. It's not coming from myself. It's coming from the person of Jesus. And then skip down to verse 14. It says, he says, and the grace of our Lord. Grace of our Lord. So this whole concept of grace is not just some arbitrary idea of getting something that we don't deserve. Grace is flowing from who he is. He's Lord. And so to talk about grace and receiving grace is not just receiving an idea and it's not just receiving a thing that we get. It's receiving the person of Jesus. He is grace. Something that he is. And so he will not stop being gracious to you because he can't deny himself. He is just nothing but grace. That's who he is. And so he says, the grace of our Lord. And the, the, the language here in, the, in that verse 12 of I thank him, and literally in the Greek, it's kind of choppy, and it's, it has this idea of grateful I continue to be. It's this idea he's just welling up inside of him. He can't, can't hold it in. I can't stop being grateful for the grace of Jesus. When I see Jesus, I just bubble up in gratitude, and it never ceases. It never stops. Is that true for you? Like when you meditate on Jesus, does you just... It's like, I can't hold it in. Like, God, thank you for who you are, for what you've done. Um, I want that to be our reaction uh, to him. Spirit of God, do that. But it goes on about grace. That grace is a person, not a thing. But listen, grace does not just save us. It sustains us. So I think everybody in this room, especially if you've been around the church, you would say, man, I'm saved by grace through faith. Not of myself, it's a gift of God. Not of works, so I can't boast. If anybody's going to get saved, they don't get saved by their works, they get saved by Jesus' work. Amen? Amen. But here's where I think the disconnect is for a lot of us. We believe that with all of our hearts. But that same grace and that same desperate need that you need it to be all Jesus and none of you or it ain't happening is just as much true for you 20 years later. That you don't just begin in grace and that he just gives you this gift of you don't have to work for it. He just gives it to you if you'll repent and believe. And then you got to move on. And you, gotta, you better try real hard. And you better not mess up. And if you mess up, God's mad at you. And when you get it right, he's happy with you. That is not the gospel. The gospel is so total and all-encompassing and complete that, yes, it is good news. That grace saves us. We come from death to life and it, we don't deserve it. But listen, we continue in that grace. It's not self-reliance. It's not I've got to do all this stuff. It is just all grace. You said, Derek, I don't know, I don't know if I really um, believe you. <laughs> okay, well, verse 12, he says that the, God's grace is our strength. I thank him who has given me strength. So in other words, the strength to be all that God's called me to be is only from his grace. It's only from him. So if I'm ever going to get this right, it's going to be because God's getting it right in me. So he said, okay, well, I don't know. That's kind of shaky. Well, let's keep reading some other passages. The words will be up on the screen here. 2 Timothy chapter 2, another letter that Paul's writing to Timothy. He says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the what, church? Grace that is in Christ Jesus. So same idea. I want you to get strength because I know you're weak. I know you're struggling. I know you can't do this on your own. So I want you to be strengthened. Literally, it's, it's, it's all of this is passive. Like you get Strength. You get strengthened by an outside source, by you resting in grace. Then Romans chapter 5, Paul's writing to another church, church at Rome. And he says, through him, that's Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into this what? Grace in which we stand. It's this idea of, 
I didn't just enter in grace and then I'm standing on my merit, my effort, my work. No, I entered into grace and I'm now standing on grace. I'm today, right now, no matter what's going on in my life, I'm in grace. I'm standing on it. One more. 1 Corinthians 15. We read this a lot around here. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel, the good news that I preached to you. Notice this. Which you received. Past tense. When you place faith in Christ. But notice what he says. In which you stand. So it's not just grace. It's not just the gospel. It's not just something that happened to you way back when. You are now still standing in grace. And then he goes on. It gets even more rich. And by which you are being saved. This gospel is going to keep you. If you're going to make it to the end and not give up and walk away from Jesus, and is he ever going to give up on me? The answer is no, because it's not about what you're doing. It's about what he's done, and he's holding on to you. Isn't that good news? It's wondrous. Like it's, it's just almost too good to be true. He says, but if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. It's all about our belief. We've got to continue to say, is this true of me? Have I bought a counterfeit or do I really believe this? Because if I really believe it, he ain't going to let go of me. And that grace is what I'm standing on and because I received it at a point in time. But if that's not happening, it means you never had it. If you stop holding fast, it means you never really encountered and experienced grace. So not only is grace our strength, it's our qualification. Notice verse 12 again in chapter 1. Because he judged me faithful appointing me to his service he judged me faithful by appointing me to his service so paul says listen i'm now a pastor and i'm working really hard and i'm doing a lot of things and you might be tempted to think that all this stuff that i get to do i'm just like planting churches all over the known world and how in the world are you doing that And he's like listen it's all by the strength of the grace of god in me but even what i get to do he didn't pick me because i'm awesome that counted me faithful. He didn't say, hey, I want that guy on my team. I'm picking him because he's going to be able to dunk or whatever. Like, no, he picks the runt on the team because he said, no, by counting me faithful doesn't mean I saw anything in you. He said, I counted you faithful, putting you into his service because I want to display my strength in your weakness. So I'm calling you to this. That's so much bigger than you because it's not about your merit. You didn't earn it, but now I'm going to leverage you as this conduit of grace to the world. Paul says this in other ways. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, he says that God is able to make all, what is it? Grace to abound to you. Don't fall asleep on me. Let's go. Um, now I've lost my place because I'm making fun of you. That's, that's good for me, isn't it? There. Uh, I'm in grace. It's okay. By God's grace, where am I? God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. He says, listen, God's able to make all grace. He's given you grace so that you have everything you need to do everything God's told you to do. You have it. Then, 1 Corinthians 15, one more. Um, he says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. So he's talking about how he's using his ministry as a pastor. I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. It wasn't empty. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. This is kind of the same real thing. Paul's saying, hey, God has counted me faithful, putting me into service. And other places we see even his faithful service. Because Paul is probably one of the most obedient Christians that we can look to, right? Like he's killing it. But he said, hey, look, I worked harder than anybody. All these other fools, they're just playing around. Like I'm getting it done. But it's not me. 
If there's anything good in me that's happening, it's being fueled by God's grace. See, because that takes away every ounce of pride. Because you almost read that, and Paul's like, hey, listen, I work harder than anybody. I'm awesome. And you're like, Paul, dude, like, sit down, man. Like, that's a little much. But he's like, and he stops and says, no, 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 it wasn't me. The grace that I, the ability I had to work hard is from my God. And I think we see here also, I just want to make an aside because I know um, this is a temptation for us in this generation. Grace is not um, separate from our effort. Resting in grace doesn't mean I can just sit back and just do whatever I want to because God loves me fully. That is not grace. Because you see Paul here saying, when I see grace, it causes me to work really, really hard. And I work even hard. It doesn't mean I just sit back and not do anything. It's like I'm going to jump in even deeper. It's a disciplined pursuit. Grace fuels our effort. doesn't give us an excuse not to have effort. And so, yeah, that's just an aside. That was free. So, all right. Grace is only for messed up people. It's only for messed up people. You say, well, where are we getting that? Well, verse 13, he kind of launches into his testimony. He says, though formerly I was a blasphemer. So, I mean, I sinned against God. I hated him. He was religious even, but he said, I see my sin now as a sin ultimately against God. And I was a persecutor. Not only was I sinning against God, but I was a sinning against his church. And then I was an insolent opponent. You know what that word really means in the Greek? I love it. Bully. That's what it means. It's like, I was this just hateful, like wanting to seek people's harm, violent, aggressive, ruthless bully. Um, and so Acts chapter 8 and 9 of Paul's testimony, I invite you to go read it. We preached on that uh, earlier in the year. You can go back and listen to it. But of uh, Paul's testimony of he was, if you don't know the context, he was killing Christians. And he was a religious person. But he didn't believe that Jesus was who he says he was. He wasn't Christ Jesus, our Lord. And that he didn't believe in this whole resurrection deal. And he's trying to stifle all of these people that kept talking about Jesus. And no more. I ain't letting the name spread to the world. And in in his religion, trying to shut down the gospel and persecuting the church. Um, And so I love this because Paul's just very honest. And so if you're here, listen, Paul is like as close to a hero as we have of our faith. Like he wrote most of the New Testament. And Paul was a mess. Paul's not the hero. All the guys you read in in all the Bible, they're all jacked up, messed up people. They're sinful. Because the Bible is not about them, about us. The Bible is about the one true hero who isn't a mess, and it's Jesus. And so Paul is just so honest to say, here's who I was. Here's who I would be apart from God intersecting my world. And we just read earlier in verse 15, he called himself the chief of sinners. I am the foremost of sinners. There ain't no worse of a sinner than me. He had that posture of his heart that like, this is who um, I am. And he meant it because he knew who he was. See, because he didn't say, well, I'm, I'm kind of a d- decent person. I just needed Jesus to help me. No, he said, listen, I was the worst. The absolute worst. I'm, I was the worst of sinners. And I think that's why we see him celebrating. Because you see Jesus telling the story of this uh, woman who was in such sin. And she came, got, received Jesus' forgiveness in Luke chapter 7. I just want to, I don't have time, but I love this idea that Jesus gives us. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. This idea of if you don't think that you're that bad, you don't think that you've been forgiven of that much, you're never going to love a lot. You're never going to love people a lot. You're always going to be kind of arrogant and kind of 
thinking you're better than other people and you're never going to love Jesus a lot. But when you see who you really are and who you really were before Jesus intersected your life by grace and that if I'm anything right now, it's not me, it's grace. It's Jesus working in me. Man, it, it fuels worship. It makes you just really just well up and where we can't even hardly sing these songs. We're getting so rowdy because this is true. And grace frees us to be honest about ourselves. I love that Paul's just telling us what's true. So here's, the, here's some questions that I have for you. We're going to move on. Are you able to be vulnerably honest to own your sin with yourself to God and others? Because if you're really getting the gospel and really believing the gospel, you don't have to pretend. And you don't have to put a mask on. And you don't have to act like you have it all together. Matter of fact, grace frees us to say, not to glorify our sin not ma- and make light of sin, not at all. We hate our sin. But to say, I'm not the Savior. And I can stop trying to be. That's liberating. It is so freeing when it's not on you. And it's been on Him. And He took the heinousness of my sin. And He gives me righteousness and freedom and forgiveness in spite of me. In spite of me. So here's another question to kind of give you a, a, a test if you're believing this. Do you feel as if you need to clean yourself up before you come to God or step into all that God has for you? Here's how you know if you're believing the gospel. Can you pray even when you know that you're messing up and go in with confidence to confess your sin, to own your sin? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But to just say, he's my father and he delights in me right now. Because if you're not believing the gospel, here's what you're going to be like. I got to get better before I can talk to God. I can't raise my hand and worship because I feel too dirty right now and I'm not worthy to be in this room. That's saying you're not believing the gospel. Saying, no, no, no. If I believe the gospel, I'm not worthy, but Jesus is worthy and I'm in Him. And so He's forgiven me and I can stand free. Not to take light of our sin, but to deal with it because Christ has purchased it. Are you believing the gospel today? And another question, because it it gets horizontal for us in our relationships. How would taking the posture of the worst sinner in every situation change your relationships? If you said, listen, I think our posture is so much because we're not getting the gospel of grace, is that it's everybody else's fault. It's my spouse's fault. If they would just do X, Y, Z, then we wouldn't have the issues that we have. But instead of saying, no, 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 I am the worst of sinners. So if there's a problem, it probably has to do with me. Even if they're messing up, it's probably has to do with me. Man, this church, man, no one cares about me. No one's in a relationship. And maybe that's true. But take the posture of I'm the worst of sinners. And I need the forgiveness and the restoration that I want other people to get. I, it's me. I'm more in need of the gospel than anybody else. Is that your posture of heart? Um, if it is, it'll change us, I believe. Let's move on. We're almost finished. Grace is only for those who own their helpless situation. He says in verse 13, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. Mercy is saying, I didn't get what I deserve. He said, I deserve wrath and God didn't give me wrath. Instead, he showed compassion on me. It's like you play in the game, uh, you know, you're wrestling around in middle school or whatever and you like, you tap out and call uncle or whatever. It's like, I need pity. I need compassion. Don't, don't give me what I deserve. Let up. And that's what that word mercy means. Like God could have done that. He could have kept pressing in on you in his wrath. But instead he shows compassion and mercy and pity. And to not give you what you deserve. And he says, why? Because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. Paul is not saying that, well, you know, all that sin that I did wasn't really my fault because I didn't know any better. That's not what he's saying. Because he just owned that I'm the worst of sinners. But here's what Paul is saying. 
when I saw, by God's grace, he opened my eyes and I saw the resurrected Christ and I saw my sin for what it is, I turned. I was acting ignorantly in unbelief. Like, I was unbelieving. That unbelief is his fault. He did that. But he said, because I wasn't believing the gospel and I was rejecting Jesus, everything I was doing was just ignorant. I was in the dark behind it. I knew what I was doing. I was making conscious decisions, but I wouldn't have done that if I'd have seen the beauty of Jesus. And when I saw the beauty of Jesus, I stopped and I turned and he changed me. So that's why he said I received mercy because I came to a place of seeing my sin and getting rid of it and walking away from it. Because mercy isn't true for people that just want to dig their heels in and say, I'm not that bad. And mercy isn't true for people that says, I don't want to submit to the mercy and the grace of God. I want to continue in my unbelief and I'm just going, then you're not ignorant. You are willfully rebelling. Because listen, every time you hear the gospel, you never are neutral. You're either going to get more hard into it, or you're going to get more soft into it. Which one will you be? In Mark chapter 2, Jesus is talking to the tax collectors and the Pharisees, not the tax collectors, the Pharisees, the religious people of that day that dotted all the I's, crossed all the T's, and they were mad at Jesus for being friends with people that they thought were just messed up. And he says in verse 17 of Mark 2, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Here's what he's saying. You're never going to enjoy Jesus if you don't think you need him. Just as much as you're never going to go to the doctor until you get really bad sick. And it's not saying there's some people not sick. Everybody's sick, but there's some people that don't think they're sick. So they're never going to come to Jesus. But when you get to the place where you know you have no hope, man, that's when the gospel really begins to well up in us um, and change begins to happen. But if you're here and you're unwilling to see that about yourself, um, there's no mercy for us in that way. That's only for those who will say, I'm not believing this right. I want rid of it. Grace is measured by the immensity of God's heart rather than by the inconsistencies of our performance. It's very wordy, very preachery, isn't it? Let me read it again. Grace is measured by the immensity of God's heart rather than by the inconsistencies of our performance. Verse 14 says, the grace of the Lord, what's that word? Overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ. That faith, love, and grace are connected, meaning He's, not, he's given us stuff we don't deserve. And even the faith and the love, the faith to believe him and the love that we have for him, if that's true of you, it's a result of, your, of grace. You didn't, even, you didn't even cause yourself to believe, he says. It's all a result of grace. But this grace that he gives us so that we can believe, so that we can love him, overflows. God is not stingy with his grace. He's not saying, hey, I'll really lavish my love on you if you'll do this. No, 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 he says, just going to lavish my love on you because it's who I am. It's who I am. And there's other places that we don't have time to go to, but he talks about the riches of the glory of his grace and the immeasurable riches of his grace, that he blesses us not in accordance to how well you're doing. He blesses us all based upon everything that he is. That's how I'm going to bless you. It's because I am gracious and I'm immeasurably gracious. I'm going to keep pouring out my love for you. Grace to us is meant to be an illustration of the hope of God's grace to others. It's meant to be to, not of, sorry. Um, to others. Verse 16, but I received mercy for this reason. So he's talking about this mercy that he's getting because he came to a place of seeing his sin. Why, why, Paul, why did God give you mercy? For this reason. That in me, as the foremost, as the worst sinner, that Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. 
That's us. And so Paul, I mean, I don't think it's wrong for us to apply that we're the worst of sinners, but for Paul, it was different for him in kind of his way as an apostle. He knew he was the worst of sinners, and it was important. He said, listen, God did this to me. He, I, th- I think Paul would say this. He came after the worst person that he could find and make him into the biggest preacher, church planter that the world's ever seen, just so that everybody's going to come behind and hear this good news of the gospel and even read my writings are going to say, if God can save him, he can save anybody. If God can save a terrorist, which was what Paul was, formerly before he was Paul, he was Saul. If God can save him at his worst, I mean, it doesn't get much worse than that. Like persecuting the church, stopping the name of Jesus, hating Jesus, like it's that bad. It's, it's Al-Qaeda, it's, um, it's ISIS, it's who he was. And if God shows mercy and grace and patience to him, he'll show mercy and grace and patience to you, friend. He's, you've not done too much to receive his forgiveness. And when we actually come to the place and we receive, like, listen, all I have is Christ. That's it. Where would I be without the love of Jesus? And when we get that and we live our lives that way and we don't try to cover ourselves up to make ourselves look better than we are, we just say, listen, this is who I am and this is who Jesus is and Jesus is the hero of my story. What that does is an illustration to the world that says he can do that for you. If he saved me, he can save anybody. Don't let your sin keep you from the gospel. He delights in making messy things broken again. That's what he does. And he gets more glory the more messed up you are when you come to your place of I don't want it anymore. Receive the gospel. And then we close with verse 17. He says, To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Grace fuels a life of worship. When you see this, it says, look at him. Look at this God of the ages, this king over all human history. This world is under his control. This earth is his footstool. That's how big my God is. He's immortal. He's not like us. He is so holy and separate from us. He's invisible, meaning there's mystery to it. and We can't see him. There's faith, but he's so much bigger, and you can't put him in a box to the only God. There's no one like him. He's the only God who demands submission from us, and it's for our good because he's this beautiful and holy and our joy and our treasure and so he says be honor give him honor put him in the rightful place in your life he doesn't need to be a sunday thing he needs to be permeating every part of your life give him honor because look at this god and look what he did for you in the gospel and glory forever and ever amen glory is literally all god is on display so god i want to just you to fill me with your glory let the earth be filled with the glory of the lord as the waters cover the sea i live for you and you alone why what fuels that kind of life why do we live in community making disciples sacrifice so much go to the nations for the praise of the glory of his grace he has done this work in the gospel for us and it is the best news in the world so god stir our hearts for for this gospel so i invite us to to bow, if you will, please, uh, in prayer. We're going to sing um, a couple songs to celebrate uh, this good news of who he is and what he's done. And I just invite us, please, do not check out on us. Um, we'll be out by our usual time. And I just want the Holy Spirit right now to say something's happening in this moment. And it's not because of um, there's not going to be any manipulation happening right now. We're not going to try to plug on your emotional heartstrings. That's not what we're doing. We're just saying we want to give a space to listen 
to the Spirit of God and to respond to the Spirit of God. And so as we prayed, as we opened up our gathering this morning, Holy Spirit, will you cause the love of God to be poured out into my heart? Like, I know you love me. I hear people say it all the time, but I don't know that I've ever experienced it. And we talk about this beautiful grace of God in Christ. So I have a question for you. Have you ever received it? So for those who haven't, listen to me. Receive the grace of God today by turning from your sin and yourself. Like, why would you trust yourself? How is that working? That sin that's keeping you from Jesus, like... It's not worth it. Turn from that and throw yourself on everything that Jesus is. If you'll come broken, you don't have to clean yourself up, but to say, Jesus, I know I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. I'm the worst. And I don't even think that you could ever love me. Why would you ever love me? I'm a mess. There's no way you can forgive me. There's no way you can use me. And what you'll find is if you come with that posture of, I don't want to live this anymore. Jesus, change me. I believe that you are who you say you are. I believe that you did what you say you did and you took my sin and you've paid for it and it's done and it's finished and if I'll put my faith in you I can be forgiven and you change me from the inside out and you restore me to walk with you and you power me with your spirit to be like you and to put you on display to the nations and in my life my life can have a purpose and so listen do you want Jesus he's done everything necessary to receive the grace of Jesus do it right now in your seat if you have questions come back let's talk but for those of us who do know Jesus and you receive the grace of God, I want to invite us all to remember who you were before Jesus showed mercy to you. I want you to do that right now. Think back before you experienced the gospel, before Jesus saved you. Remember your sin. Remember how foolish your heart was. and Remember where you would be without him. And let that cause you to fall on your face in thankfulness welling up as we sing these songs I pray it just gets way down deep remember his grace toward you you don't deserve this and you have it and then once we remember we rest from all of our striving to earn God's love for you so I just want to invite you as a Christian today listen stop 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 working for yourself so hard in your own strength according to your own merit worried if God's going to love you or like you or accept you and rest in His grace. And let that grace fuel a life of obedience. Rest that He delights in you. And ask Him to give you that strength that we just talked about. Grace strengthens us. So say, God, I need your strength to overcome this sin. I need your strength in my marriage. I need your strength to make disciples and be on mission. Would you do that in me? And I'd like us all just to repent of any pride that's taken credit for your salvation thinks that you did something to earn your love, his love for you. Refusal to receive it. Like I think so often we just don't want it to be that free. We want to have a part in it. And I just invite you to just repent of that and say, it's liberating that I don't have to earn this. And if you're, anybody's here that's using grace as an excuse to sin, that if God loves me, forgives me, that I can live however I want, I would just implore us all to look at Jesus and let that just melt away any pride and, we call, and sin and rebellion that causes us to do that. So we're going to sing this song, two songs. All I have is Christ. It's going to go through our testimony. If this is you, I want us to just melt it out with everything we have as a response of God's joy and worship. And where would we be without His love? We would still be lost in darkness. And so we celebrate His love and we 
go out with his love because it's the only hope of the world. So I invite us all to stand now and let's sing this out together.